This is the Carl Miller Show, where we talk about all things real estate, financial investments, and getting into a home you love. With over 15 years of experience, this is your host, Carl Miller. Good morning. You're listening to the Carl Miller Show. I am your host, Carl Miller, principal broker of Carl Miller Realty, LLC. We're located over at 7700 Timberlake Road in Lynchburg. And we're your caring, competent, trusted advisor for all things real estate and service. Today's topic, why the housing shortage is here long-term, Generation Z buyers, and the benefits of a VA loan. And we'll even dive into the specific statistics in Lynchburg, Virginia right now for housing. Special thanks to our sponsor this week, Gates Flag and Banner. Family owned and operated since 1870. With over 150 years and five generations of experience, they know the flag industry. Specializing in all types of flags, U.S., state, international, and military. Their flags are made in the United States and are available in all shapes, sizes, and materials. Not only do they sell flags, but they install, maintain, and remove residential and commercial-grade flagpoles. Find them at GatesFlag.com. That's G-A-T-E-S, GatesFlag.com. It's time for a new featured listing from Carl Miller Realty. New to the market, this Lynchburg home priced at just $169.9 is ready for you. Featuring a fenced yard, detached storage shed, and a full front porch, you'll love the off-street parking, newer windows, floors, and renovated kitchen. It's located at 1916 Roxbury Drive. Check out carlmillerrealty.com or our social media pages for more pictures and information. So today we're joined in studio by Yancey Campbell, our marketing director for Carl Miller Realty. Welcome back, Yancey. Thank you. We've had another busy week in our office. It seems like every yes. week is busy, but we had a few fun giveaways and different things we did in our office this yeah, week. Yeah, we did. We had our Father's Day giveaway where we gave away a Pelican cooler and a Dick's Sporting Goods gift card and just some really fun dad's root beer along with that. So congrats to our winner on that. And then today is something I've been looking forward to. It's Bring Your Dog to Work Day. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, Bring Your Dog to Work Day on Friday. We're recording one day early this week, but uh, it was uh, a fun morning in our office. We had the, uh, the dogs showed up and we got the good photo op. And I believe that's posted up on our social media yeah. pages. So. And I think everybody in the office had a dog they brought. So Absolutely. it was our backyard was full. It was fun. It was a lot of fun. And uh, as the time that, that this airs, we will have been wrapped. We will have wrapped up the uh, Twisted Trail 10K race, which is happening happened this morning uh, over at the New London Trail System. And so that was just a lot of fun. And congratulations to all the 10K trail runners who showed up there. And just to give a shout out to the race director there, Jeremy Peterson, he's a local celebrity now because he just got done running a 135 mile race in wow. Alaska, the Denali 135, and uh, he won first place. So for at least a year, he'll have the record, the course record up there. Just a crazy race. And That's amazing. Yeah, I should actually bring, we should actually bring him on there. He's just a great guy. He actually is um, heading up the uh, Blue Ridge Trail Runners, and we we like to support their events. So. For any of you runners out there, if you want to get into the trail systems, we can get you connected to the Blue Ridge Trail Runners. That's a great little nonprofit right here in town. Well, last week we talked about 10 tips for sellers. And if you want to catch that segment, check out your favorite podcast platform and just search for The Carl Miller Show. And this month, we're starting to see the market soften just a little bit. Not, not in the way that prices are dropping, but just in the amount of available inventory. I track the numbers really closely, what happens around Lynchburg. And so looking at single-family homes... 
you know, we have uh, we have this. So today we're going to be talking about several things. We'll talk about the housing inventory. We'll talk about why the housing market shortage is here to stay. We're going to talk about Gen Z buyers and also five benefits of a VA loan. But back to the housing market with Lynchburg. As of Friday morning, there were 265 single-family homes for sale in Lynchburg and the three touching counties. That is actually up about 20% from where we were three months ago. I've been watching these numbers really closely, and typically for single-family homes, we bounced between about 250 up to about 230, kind of running from February through May. Also, the amount of pending sales is down a little bit. So we've been running about 520 to 550 most weeks, uh, all spring, but that number is down to 497 as of this week. So what does that mean? Uh, you know, it's it's we're in the summer, so typically the summer we start to see a little bit of a, of, a, of a slump in the sales, but what I am seeing is that there's maybe a little bit of hope for buyers because there's more homes available right now than we've had all year, Yeah. Uh, but Make no mistake about it, the homes are still selling fast and they're still selling with multiple offers. Now, median days on the market remains at five, five uh, days on pending sales. And at one time, we hit we hit one month, I believe it was in March, where the median days on market was four. The average days on market is about 19, but the median number is still only five days on the market. And that's from list date to sales date. And then one more stat I'll just throw out there that Looking back at the last six months and just looking at the number of sales per month, about 250 single-family homes are selling every month, and there are 500, give or take, just right at 500, 497 officially pending. And if you make the assumption those close out in the next 60 days, the market's still selling about 250 homes per month. So overall, it's still a very competitive market. But I think what's happened is some buyers have just pulled back nationally just in their home search. They're tired of getting beat out. They got discouraged about the hot market. And while the inventory slowly swells, what's interesting to me is those buyers, they're still buyers. They still want to buy a home. And they're going to probably get back in the game when they hear that the market's cooling down a little bit. Mm -hmm. And so if all of them jump back at the same time, it's going to create another surge of you know, a shortage. <laughs> so it'll just be interesting to watch what shakes out the rest of this year. But I do think we'll continue to be a very strong seller's market for the, for the rest of the, of the year, for sure. So, Yancy, we're going to talk about your demographic just a little bit today, Generation okay. Z buyers. And <laughs> Anthony is our producer. He's just an amazing – Anthony, you do a great job just Thank producing you. this for us. Every, and Thank you. you're in this age group, too. We were kind of joking off air about the Gen Z buyer, the Gen Z person, and, and you guys are getting labeled falsely as being millennials. Yeah, right. Every time. Yep. Literally every time. I mean, I was led to believe I was a millennial till two months ago, and I was like, <laughs> right. oh, I'm a Gen Z. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the, the Gen Z right now are people aged 18 to 25, uh, basically. Is that is that about correct? I mean, I, so this is the yes. Gen X yeah. are talking here. Yes. Right? So, yeah. so I'm so 22, I'm so I yeah. fall under that. That's right, yeah. So uh, there's just a very interesting article that was updated and published just the last few days highlighting people who are in that age demographic who want to be home buyers. And there was a poll that was conducted from March 26th to April 7th, over 700 members of Gen Z, just random poll, was out there. And they were talking about their need for housing. And 75% of those polled would prefer to own a home rather than, rather than rent one. And this is from the Realtor.com survey. And that's likely because it can be more beneficial financially to own and build wealth rather than deal with escalating rents each year. You know, one thing about owning a home is your payment's locked in forever. Rents can change every year, I mean, at the whim of your landlord. And one thing I know about Gen Zs is they are typically pretty careful with your money. You guys are 
you know, I, you know I'm giving, I'm sounding like the great old guy, you guys. <laughs> yeah. But Gen Z folks generally are pretty careful with their money. But what's your perspective on that? Like uh, for, for you two, if you were to, to poll your top 10 friends, would you say that they want to be homeowners or not really? And, and half of them wanted to be homeowners in the next five years. I, I would think for me that if I were to ask my friends, I think we all still have that dream of, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. our, you know, our parents most likely owned a house. And that that's always what you would want, because it, there is that sense of security that you get from owning a house and not having to rent. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think if I were to poll 10 of my friends, including myself, mm-hmm. we, we would most likely say we'd, we'd prefer to own. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it all boils down to what's your plan. You know, are you staying in the area? Are you right. planning on moving after college? For me, after college, I was like, I want to stay in Lynchburg. I love the area. And mm-hmm. so I would much rather own a home and start putting in, um, you know, towards my mortgage and things like that other than renting and things. And I think if I were to ask my friends, it would be 50 50. Um, I right. know a lot of them want to move after college. So right now they're renting, but then others are like, I want to settle down here. So they're getting pre approved and purchasing homes. Right, right. The youngest person we ever helped was an 18-year-old who just who wow. just graduated high school, actually. And she had a job, and she had just turned 18, and she bought her first house. And that was the youngest person I ever helped, you know, That's buy awesome. a home. And, she, and it, was, it just stood out to me because a lot of folks will get parents to help co-sign and that type of thing. But she did it 100% on her own, and wow. I was so proud of her. Wow. That happened yeah. a few years ago. That's great. But of this poll, the NAR found that 50% said they do intend to buy a home in the next five years, and then the other 50% of the 70% who said they wanted to – 75% who wanted to be homeowners – so they were going to do it in the five years following, and and so what the what the um, writer of this article pretty much has pointed out is that the experience millennials have had migrating to cities and paying a premium to live there, only to end up a decade later un, unable to afford homes. The, a lot of the millennials have done that, and Gen Z has kind of been watching that, and and it may have led to look at look towards more affordable alternatives, and so almost fifty percent. Um, would rather be in the suburbs than the, than the, than the cities. And one-fifth, about 19%, plan to buy in a more rural area, hmm. finding more space for their money. And uh, what's interesting is they were factoring into how COVID-19 you know, has factored into their decisions. And what they found was it hasn't dampened plans of Gen Z to become homeowners. Nearly two-thirds say it hasn't affected their goal at all. And more than a quarter claim they want to buy a home even more as a result of just going through the, the pandemic that we all went through. So... Yeah, I just I just find that really interesting. So that how about you, Yancy? You're gonna you're gonna try to buy a home in the next year. I am. That's I so am cool. looking into it. The market's it's interesting right now, at least for me and what I'm looking for. But uh, you know, I'm just taking my time. Sure. Trying to find the right house and not having too high of expectations right now, just because the yeah. market is so crazy. It but. is crazy. It is. Uh, you know, and and for folks like yourself, especially if you're open to roommates, you know, you, yeah. you can really leverage that to, to buy a home and have roommates help cover a mortgage payment. And Absolutely. It's a way to maybe even live almost almost rent-free or house payment-free if you can set it up properly. Mm-hmm. So it's really interesting. And, and one statistic that's been – I've been selling real estate now for 16 years, and one statistic that just continues to be very consistent, and this poll this comes out every year, a new update, is that the average homeowner has a net worth between 40 and 45 times greater – than that of the net worth of tenants. Oh, wow. So there's just no doubt home ownership is one major tool that Americans can utilize to increase their net worth. Now, that does not factor in age. So, you know, obviously it's not quite fair to compare the net worth of a 20-year-old to that of a 60-year-old. But at, but the flip side is is that it, it, it kind of just makes the point that home ownership is almost a forced savings account because home equity has gone up traditionally over mm-hmm. the years. And, of course, we've seen a boom recently that's been even more pronounced. But 
yeah, I appreciate you guys sharing and your perspective. Anthony, anything else that you would uh, you would uh, add to that little article, or that just from your perspective that I, I think you, I think it pretty much covered it. You know, I think a lot of us when we get out of school or something like that, that's the intention is to. Mm-hmm rent for a little bit mm-hmm. and then if we can't afford it to find somewhere else to live i know yancy you just said a year that's nowhere near my plan at all mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah just because money becomes a factor sure but, and but student loans and student yeah, loans and everything yeah. like that sure. mm-hmm. um but yeah I, I think that that makes sense i think that we may seem like we're content with just renting but i think a lot of us have bigger hopes and sure. dreams mm-hmm. right and i think too that it's a transition it's a transient time of life for a lot of folks. Like you said, you mentioned about, you know, getting a job and just making sure we want to stay in the community that mm-hmm. we're in. And a lot of folks are looking for that new opportunity, that new job. And, but once you get that, then it'd be nice mm-hmm. to be grounded in and have, have that home ownership. Well, that's, yeah. that's really good. I appreciate you guys sharing that. When we come back, we're going to explore five benefits of VA loans. That's the veteran administrative loans and why the housing shortage is here to stay for a while. We're back with The Carl Miller Show. I'm your host, Carl Miller, joined by Yancey Campbell and our producer, Anthony, who's in the office today. Anthony, I always have a hard time saying your last name. You need to help me out just one more time. McAvoy. McAvoy. I want to say McElroy, but I knew that wasn't right. Yeah, well, the good thing is you get the Mac part right because that's where everybody screws up anyway. We'll just call you AMAC. Yeah, that works. Do people say McAvoy? All the time. Yeah. (laughs) That's where they get it. Well, anyway, you do a fantastic job producing this show, Anthony, and I just... I want to give a shout out to you for Thank making you. us sound good on the air in spite of my little flaws over here. <laughs> well, wanted to give a shout out today to veterans. Do you have any uh, veterans in your family? I don't. Nancy? No. I, I don't either in my immediate family, but uh, there is a loan program available for veterans, and most veterans are aware of this, but I wanted to just state this on air because sometimes we take things for granted. We, we, we're, we kind of live in the world of selling houses and helping people get mortgages, but the VA loans, the Veterans Administrative Loans, there is specific eligibility requirements, but there is some great benefits to utilizing that to buy your home. And I'm just going to shout them out, five of them here. And for those of you who have family that are veterans and are thinking about buying a home, even if there's down payment saved up, don't overlook the fact that this is a great program for home buyers. Number one, no down payment. V- veterans can get into houses with no down payment, 100% loans, and it's a great program, and it's very friendly towards buyers and first-time buyers. And in fact, most qualified buyers can purchase up to $424,000 uh, straight up, um, buying a house up to that price with no money down. Now, be aware that no money down should not be confused with no money out of pocket because there are still closing costs and earnest money deposit and fees like home inspections and those types of things. So if you have $0 and you're a veteran, uh, understand that there is some some expenses. There is money out of pocket required. But as far as the loan goes, you can get a 100% loan. And uh, some buyers have been able to successfully negotiate the closing costs into the loan as well. So you can get down with very with much less down. So that's the number one, no money down. Number two, the loan requirements are more lenient. Uh, required credit scores for a VA loan is lower than for a conventional loan, about, about 620 for a credit score. Uh, a conventional loan is going to require most of them 650 to 700 or above. 
And then in addition to that, required debt-to-income ratio is often more flexible than for conventional mortgages. So that's another great aspect of this. And then number three, no mortgage insurance. There's this nasty little thing called PMI. Anytime you borrow less than uh, – put less than 20% down on a loan, you have to pay what's called private mortgage insurance. And that can run anywhere between 120 up to $200 a month. And so that's big savings for buyers using a VA loan. And then fourthly, limited closing costs. Legally, veterans, they're allowed to pay for certain closing costs, and typical closing costs include appraisal, the credit report, origination fee, recording fee, you know, things like sometimes surveys or title insurance. But there are some fees veterans are not allowed to pay, and the VA allows lenders to charge no more than 1% of the loan uh, cost, the origination cost. So veterans are basically getting some savings that non-veterans can't get on using a VA loan. And lastly, number five, sometimes there's extra assistance available with appraisals. We've, we've talked about this on the show before, but we've had some appraisal problems. And when a VA loan runs into some appraisal issues, most times the appraisers can notify the lenders. And there's then real estate agents and the lender, the brokers have 48 hours to supply additional information that the appraiser might not be aware of just to help justify the home's value. And we've, I've got to say, we've done a lot of VA loans in our office, and most times those loans come in with a good appraisal, especially because if there's a problem, they usually call and, hey, where did those numbers come from? And usually we can explain why or how. We just had one recently where the appraisal, the appraiser was having some challenges, and, and, and he called me and just said, hey, I just want to know how many, how many offers happened, how many showings happened. And when I gave him the multiple offer situation, he said, well, that's all I need to know because – that, that allows me to justify a higher price than what I'm coming in with with the comps. Wow. So, so there's some flexibility with VA lending, and uh, I would definitely encourage you or your family members, if you're a veteran, at least explore that option along with your conventional option or FHA option, and you may find that the VA is the way to go. So I wanted to make sure we gave a shout-out to our veterans and the opportunities to them today. So thank you, veterans, for serving our country, and hopefully you can take advantage of the government programs that are available for you as a home buyer. And I think at the end of the day, it's just really clear that the U.S. supports veterans owning homes. And Absolutely. They want, they want people to own homes. So, yeah. And it's just a wonderful way to like be able to give back to them as well. Right. Just having all of these different options in the home buying process. Yep. Yep. And most lenders that, that work with VA, you know, they, 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 they enjoy working with veterans. And there's a couple of lenders. If you're a veteran and you want to buy a home, give us a call. We've got a couple of lenders that really specialize in that type of loan. Yeah. And we'll get you connected. All right. Well, it's no secret we're in a housing shortage in the U.S., and we've been talking about this on air. We've been talking about the shortage of houses in Lynchburg, but it's happening all across the country, and we've given the stories of multiple offers and houses selling anywhere from, you know, five or well, from one to 20 percent above the list price. And depending on what part of the country that turns into, you're seeing some homes that are selling hundreds of thousands of dollars above list price. But why? what caused the shortage? Was it COVID? Were we heading into this beforehand? And there's a Really good article written by Ben Caballero with Inman that just highlights why we're in the mess that we're in from the housing shortage side of the side of things. And so housing starts, the number of houses that were built, that started to be tracked by the U.S. Census Bureau in 1959. So between 1959 and 2006, that's 48 years, the Census Bureau tracked how many houses were started or being built every year for 48 years. So we have wow. a lot of data here. And there was 52.9 million homes built in those 48 years. So that averages out to 1.1, 1 
you want to know the exact number, 1,102,938,000, I'm, I'm sorry, that was I butchered that, 1.1 million <laughs> essentially, 1,102,938 homes per year. So for 14 years, so that happened. So 1.1 million homes up till 2006, 1959. But for the 14 years between 2007 to 2020, the builders only started 9.9 million homes or 708,000 homes per year, which is essentially 395,000 fewer starts per year than historical average. So, and we all know what happened in 2007. We had a big old meltdown in the mortgage world and, 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 the, and the whole housing bubble popped and you know there was 10 months of housing supply already and, and builders just stopped building. There's a lot of bankruptcies happened and development just came to a grinding halt. And, and we got away with that in the United States for a few years because there was so many foreclosures and vacant homes and unfinished built homes that were halfway built or even homes that were completed that were just sitting in subdivisions that, that, that the builders couldn't sell. So from about 2007 to 2013, this is just painting with a broad brushstroke, but in the United States, we got away with not building any new homes because we had so much inventory already and people had lost their homes and, and there was a lot of foreclosures and short sales and, and I was selling real estate in those years and it was amazing how many distressed sales were happening all around us and a lot of vacant houses. So we got away with it. But then in about 2013, 2014, the U.S. market started to change. And it was about 2017. I started to talk about, like, we are heading into a housing shortage because from 2007 to 2020, the U.S. builders were only building 708,000 homes a year. And keep in mind, the demand up to this point has been at least 1.1 million homes per year. So fast forward to 2020, COVID happens, and all of a sudden people value home ownership more than ever. In fact, even in 2020, builders started just under right at a million homes, which is still below the historical average of 1.1 million. So COVID happens, people start to value home ownership. And all of a sudden, all of the available inventory of new homes just, just goes away because people wanted to move into homes. Simultaneous with that, there's always a supply of, of, of resale homes that come on the market. People move and people plan to move in 2020 that all of a sudden just chose not to move. Um, pandemic was habit. We, were, we, we didn't know what we were going into. Even last year at this time in June, I mean, July, the June and July of last year, I mean, the country was still shut down. We weren't having live sporting events. Baseball was canceled for the year. People were just not sure where things were going and, and, and selling a home unless you needed to was the last thing people wanted to do. So all of a sudden the inventory just shrunk and now here we are in June of 2021 and it's really easy to see how there's just no homes for sale. Yeah. We don't have new construction happening to keep up with the demand and home buyers are now paying the price for the needs of homes based on a combination of new developments that increased housing demand. And we talked about COVID-19. Uh, a lot of people were forced to work and teach and learn remotely. And keep in mind, our population in the United States is living longer and we're preventing their homes from being recycled. We talked about millennials reaching home buying age. And now it's Gen Z reaching home buying age. And we're also competing a little bit with some institutional investors. Uh, there's some big Wall Street funded companies buying residential properties. They've always bought commercial properties, but they're starting to buy residential single family homes now. In addition to that, local, state, and federal restrictions and mandates increased, interest rates decreased, and record levels of buyers came into the market. What I find fascinating about this article, though, is that the factors that are not considered 
And, and that is this, apartment production. Okay, so, so apartment production, townhome condos, we see those even going around Lynchburg. It's kind of stopping the bleeding a little bit for some of the people who want to be in single-family homes. But apartment production is not factored in. Changing in housing preferences, you know, people's housing preferences change. We talked about how sometimes uh, folks want to move out of the suburbs into the city, be downtown. Mm-hmm. And then later, now that COVID's happened, the, the, the trend has moved back into the suburbs or even into the rural areas. U.S. immigration policy. So in addition to people living longer, there's more people immigrating to the United States. The United States is still the number one country people want to immigrate to from in the world. Interest rate changes. So obviously interest rates are low. So that puts an increased demand on housing. Federal tax and policy, the federal tax rates. And, and one of the great advantages of being a homeowner is when you sell your house, there's no taxes. I mean, if it's your primary residence and you bought your house for, I'm throwing numbers out, $200,000 and you sell it 15 years later for three fifty, you don't get taxed on that $150,000 of gain because it's your primary residence. And lastly, the article does not consider population growth. And it would be interesting to find out what the population was of 1959 yeah. versus 2021 yeah. because the average starts from 1959 to 2007 is 1.1 million and that's just the average starts. And I, I know we have a way more people in the United States in 2021 than we did in 1959. Yeah, absolutely. So we are in a need for a lot of houses to be built. And, and the point of that, our producer, Anthony. Do you want the, the stats? I would love the stats, <laughs> Anthony. What do you got there? So the population of the United States in 1959 was 177.8 million. Okay, 177.8. The population in 2020 was 331 million. Wow. There you go. That's significantly That's almost different. double. That's about <laughs> quick, double. Quick yeah. Google right there. Thank <laughs> you. Thank you, Anthony. So so it's about so the population is about double and and you know, here we are building less homes in the last 14 years per year than just, you know, for the previous 48 years. So that's why that's why we're in this housing shortage and that's why we're in this problem right now. And that's why I just say with confidence this housing shortage we're in, it's it's here to stay. We're not going to get out of this quickly. That's why I'm so confident that the housing prices are going to be where they are for a while. Um, that we're not in a bubble. We're not going to see prices drop. It, this all comes down to supply and demand. And that's not even mm-hmm. talking about what we're, what's in the news right now, the, the price of lumber and how expensive it is to build a house and the, the labor shortages and all of that stuff. So just the numbers of the housing starts, the numbers of the U.S. population. That's fascinating, Anthony. Almost double. Yeah. It was, so, it was when you look quite at, interesting to see those when, numbers pop up. When you look at the ratio then of, of new homes being built to the population, so that's, that could be a whole other topic. You know, the ratio is, is so skewed. So it's just another reinforcement of why the housing market is here to stay short for a while, and we can't change this rapidly. Yeah, and to hear that, I mean, it's great for the sellers and things like that, but people like Anthony and I that are like, hey, we want to buy within the next one to four years yep. or things like that, it's just not great news, but... <laughs> <laughs> we'll get you there. Yeah, and, and I mean, even in Lynchburg, we were talking about it in the office um, yeah. yesterday. Uh, it's great to see that people have taken these small homes um, and like older homes and kind of transformed mm, them and renovated mm-hmm. them. Like, it's beautiful. Like, it is. And there's a lot of those going on the market each day um, when we come into the office. We just kind of look at them. We're like, these are adorable. Like, those are great homes um, to keep an eye out for as well. Absolutely. So I think, and I think we'll innovate. We'll figure out a way to keep housing affordable for Gen Z folks. Yeah, absolutely. I I, I 100% agree with that. Great. Well, let's get into the next fun segment of our show. And now, the bizarre real estate fact of the week. All right, we've got our bizarre real estate fact of the week, and it is, according to a survey by the U.S. Census Bureau, the average person will move houses just under 12 times in a lifetime. That's amazing. 12 times in a lifetime. 
That's it's quite a bit. That's a lot. The average homeowner, now this is the average homeowner right now is moving every nine years. So I guess some of those moves are going to happen up until the time they become homeowners. Yeah, yeah. From infancy through college. But wow, 12 times. That's That seems like a lot. But I know there's some people who move many more times than that. Yeah, and I think if, you know, a military family, you look at those aspects of things, you're moving quite a bit. But man, I would love to know, like, the details behind each time, you know? That, yep. <laughs> like, what what caused them to move? It keeps us realtors in business. Let's put it that Very way. true. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you have real estate questions you want answered on the air, send your questions to any of our social media platforms. Thank you for tuning into The Carl Miller Show, your local, caring, competent, and trusted advisors for all things real estate. A special thank you to our sponsor this month, Gates Flag and Banner. Check out gatesflag.com. That's Gates, G-A-T-E-S, flag.com. Have a great week. And we'll see you next Saturday for another morning of The Carl Miller Show.